Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing five Canadian players performing well at the 2023 NFL Combine. Andrew Harris, officially returning for one final season in the CFL. Winnipeg reportedly being chosen to host the 2025 Grey Cup. The CFL's recent Invitational Combine. And the league reportedly entering exclusive negotiations for the Montreal Alouettes with a French-Canadian billionaire. But first... Canadian Nathan Rourke is one of three quarterbacks on the Jacksonville Jaguars roster after the team released QB EJ Perry on Tuesday. That leaves Rourke alongside Pro Bowl selection Trevor Lawrence and veteran backup CJ Beathard. Dunk, you reported on Wednesday that Rourke's contract with the Jags includes over 200000 USD in guaranteed money. What does it mean for his NFL hopes? Those financial assurances tell me, based on people I've talked to in the NFL, that it should give Nathan Rourke at least a year to chase this NFL dream, if not more. Things can change really quickly in the NFL. Let's look at Daniel Jones, for example, who was just signed to a massive contract by the New York Giants. One year ago, the Giants declined his fifth-year option. So things can change very quickly in one season. And this is exactly what Rourke wanted, was just an opportunity to legitimately compete for a roster spot and especially the backup job. And we'll get into that in a minute. But the financial guarantees that Rourke has secured are along the lines of what E.J. Perry was paid Last year with the Jags, he earned $230,000 U.S., was with the team after signing as an undrafted free agent for the entire season on the practice roster. So to me, that is a likely minimum for Rourke right now is being that third QB on the Jags roster, earning at least this guaranteed money, $221,000 in total, a $5,000 signing bonus and $216,000 UST in guaranteed base salary with the upside of competing with CJ Beathard, who was just re-signed by the Jags to back up Trevor Lawrence and potentially continue to rise himself in the NFL ranks. It's going to be very key for him to develop well in some of these off-season workouts the Jags are going to have, pick up the offensive system quickly from Doug Peterson and his offensive staff. And most importantly, when it comes to the preseason, he's going to have to play well and he will get reps. We know that Teams often treat their franchise quarterbacks like a Trevor Lawrence with bubble wrap during the preseason. So if the Jags go the same route as they did in 2022 and only carry three quarterbacks on the roster and Lawrence doesn't play much in the preseason, then we know Rourke is going to get a lot of reps. And that bodes well for him making the Jags roster, but also other NFL teams are going to see that film. So let's get rid of all this nonsense and complete and utter silly discourse online that we've seen about Rourke not going to get a legitimate shot. He's down in the NFL at a relatively young age with guaranteed money over $200,000 in USD. And that's not necessarily the most money that you would want to get guaranteed, but it is significant in Rourke's case. And I think it will allow him to at least have that development year with the Jags or potentially another team that comes and gets him. Well, let's look at it from Rourke's perspective. He would have made just over 80000 Canadian dollars with the BC Lions in 2023. Now, there was some talk about the Lions potentially signing him to a long-term extension and getting him more money on that deal. But with that being said, if you're Nathan Rourke, if you don't go to the NFL now, you're probably never going, right? He's already 24. He'll be 25 next offseason. To me, this was still a smart move for Nathan Rourke. And... I think he does have a great opportunity to at least make the practice roster with Jacksonville. If he makes the practice roster, he probably will make a little less money than he would have being a starter on a new deal in the CFL. But let's also look at this even in the negative light. Let's let's pretend for a moment that Nathan Rourke and CJB third, it's worth noting, did get two million dollars guaranteed on his two year extension with the Jags. But let's pretend for a moment Nathan Rourke spends a year on the PR and then flames out in the NFL. Well, 
he's made a couple hundred thousand US dollars and now he's a pending CFL free agent. I've said it on the show before. I'll say it again. If Nathan Rourke reaches CFL free agency, there's going to be nine teams looking to sign him. And that price tag is going to go up. And to me, he's probably, especially with the Canadian passport, going to become the highest paid player in the league ahead of even Zach Kolaris pulling down 600 G's Canadian. So to me, this is still a good decision for Nathan Rourke. Still too early to say if he's going to get an opportunity. But to me, releasing Perry is at least an indication from the Jags that they see Nathan Rourke as nothing worse than a PR quarterback. It's not like they've gone out and signed three other guys. There's literally only three guys in the building. And guess what? Last year, they had three QBs in the building. They had the two on the active. They had one on the PR. And by the way, for the uninitiated, NFL teams can only dress two quarterbacks per game. We saw that rear its head during the NFC Championship game when the 49ers lost Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson to injury. So having a QB on your PR, in my opinion, at least, is a must because heaven forbid you lose one or two guys and all of a sudden you're, you're scrambling for the next week. So I still think this is a good opportunity for Nathan Rourke. And I think releasing EJ Perry is at least somewhat of a vote of confidence for Rourke in the eyes of the Jags. Well, I appreciate both of you being rather diplomatic about this whole situation and addressing the points. I'm not going to do that because the only reason we are talking about this is because of ridiculousness being spouted online right now. People saying that Nathan Rourke's NFL shot is over already in March. He hasn't even been to a, a mini camp yet or an off season workout and already it's done. He's toast. He doesn't have a shot because they signed C.J. Beathard again, a veteran backup quarterback. It makes no sense. Guys, look at this objectively. The Jacksonville Jaguars would have been absolutely insane had they entered the season with only Trevor Lawrence and Nathan Rourke as their quarterbacks. I love Nathan Rourke maybe more than anyone out there. And even I know that would have been insane. No NFL team is going to do that. So they pay a veteran backup. It was a smart move by them. And they didn't pay him that much money. It's 4.5 over two years. Two million of that is guaranteed. But that's absolute pocket change in the NFL. That means next to nothing when it comes time for roster decisions, particularly if you're going to replace him with a guy who's making much less in Nathan Rourke. This situation is exactly what Nathan Rourke thought he was getting himself into. It's exactly what smart analysts knew he was getting himself into. It's gone about as expected. In fact, better than expected because I would have thought they would have brought E.J. Perry back for another training camp because he looked quite well as a undrafted free agent last season. Clearly, they are so confident in Rourke that they don't want even another look at EJ Perry. So some of the discourse that we're seeing online is absolutely ridiculous at this stage. Everyone take a breath. Things are progressing exactly as they're supposed to for Nathan Rourke. He's going to get the shot he deserves. Now, JC, you said that you love Nathan Rourke more than anybody. Are you, are you talking about that in the context of a member of the media? or Because like he has a mother and a father and a fiance, and I don't know if it's mutual, bro. I'm just gonna say, I don't it's, know if it's, it's mutual. It's definitely not mutual. I can I can guarantee you that. I sit and look longingly at him, and he he doesn't look back with the same way I look at him. It's it's tragic. Really. I think he likes three down nation. He's quoted us on the podium before. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I will say, guys, that I think I might challenge JC for the amount that I like Nathan Work, but I'm gonna stay objective here, okay? Because <laughs> Let's look at this situation that I think has played out even better, and it's a short time window, than people might have imagined for Rourke so far, okay? Perry was signed to a reserve future contract in January, and the Jags are helping Nathan Rourke with his foot rehab. He had the plate taken out of there at the end of January, and the real reason that he put that plate in there was so he could get back on the field with the BC Lions. So anybody that thinks that Rourke doesn't have respect for the CFL or the BC Lions needs to get their head checked because he put his future on the line and had a plate inserted there just to get back on the field with the Lions 
last season when that was ultra risky to do considering all of the NFL interest he already had. So that plate has been taken out. The Jags are going to help him with that rehab. And if anybody wants to even do a tiny little bit of background work, go look at Nathan Rourke's Instagram stories. He's already been throwing with current members of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So clearly the move to release EJ Perry was made as a vote of confidence to Rourke, but also because it shows the Jags are getting to know Rourke, what his work ethic is like, and also help him get back to 100%. If you're an NFL team, you're not devoting time and resources to a rookie quarterback, and that's what Rourke is right now because he's on a rookie contract, if you don't think he has some upside for your organization. All right. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders signed veteran receiver Darrell Walker this past week, a four-time divisional all-star who has over 6,000 career receiving yards. Hodge, do you see the 31-year-old making a big impact with the Riders in 2023 following a couple of disappointing seasons? I think this is a good signing for Saskatchewan. I'm not sure if I'm going to go as far as to say he's going to make a huge impact with the Riders because we haven't seen that, of course, from Darrell Walker in quite some time. He used to be the best non-quarterback in the CFL, or certainly the highest paid non-quarterback in the CFL for at least one season with the Toronto Argonauts in 2019. But he's a player who I think needs to prove himself a little bit. He looked disinterested at times over the last couple of years with the Elks. That said, we did have him as one of our top-ranked receiver pending free agents because we know what he can do. He's only 31 years old. It's not like he's you know pushing 35. He's clearly got at least some life in his career left. And what I do like about this is it just gives Trevor Harris that extra security blanket. I think the plan, at least my interpretation of the plan after free agency was Sean Bain was going to be the boundary starting receiver for the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Jeremy O'Day, the team's GM, said that he saw Bain as a starter. That boundary wideout spot is where Bain started for a, a short period of time with the Calgary Stampeders in 2022. Getting Darrell Walker there, I think, just provides even more of an opportunity to secure that spot and maybe use Bain in the slot, kind of in the, the Kyron Moore, take the top off a of defense type of role. We know that the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders have a lot of talent for their Canadian receivers, Kean Schaefer-Baker, Braden Lenius, Samuel Emelis is going to be coming back as a former first-round pick. But to me, securing that American spot is good. And also... By not paying him on day one of free agency, though the contract deal details have yet to be reported for Walker, I think it's safe to assume that they didn't overpay, right? This is probably Darrell Walker taking a haircut to join Saskatchewan. And from a cap perspective, you obviously can't argue with that. Dunk, you're going to have to help me out on this one. You, you did a podcast just, just after the start of free agency where you were looking back at all the teams. You had another guy on that podcast, and he was talking about the Riders. He said, you know, they're missing something in the receiving core. I wonder if Daryl Walker is the guy to sign and put in that spot. I think that would be a perfect fit. Who was that guy? Who was that genius analyst? who provided such incisive <laughs> insight in, into what teams should do. Do you, do you recall? That's my man, J.C. Abbott. That's why oh, that, that's who it was. Yeah, no. I love this move <laughs> for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It's exactly what they were missing. You talked about it, Hodge. Jake Wangaki is a great receiver, but he's more of a number two. He needs to be in that slot. I don't think he makes offense happen by himself, especially if you can roll the coverage to him. Keon Schaefer-Baker is a fantastic Canadian. I still think he might be the most talented receiver in that receiving core, but you're going to use him in a different way. They didn't have that sort of number one outside receiver on that roster Darrell Walker is that guy. Now, he's not as good as he once was. Can he get back to that level? I don't know. But it was a spot that they had to fill with someone at the very least competent. And we've still seen Darrell Walker be at that level at every stage of his career. We, we talk about his decline, but he's still a 900-yard receiver last year, right? He's still a guy who can go in there and put up quality minutes, be a competent starter, hauling a bunch of balls and be a number one target in your offense. So that's what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders needed, and that's what they got by the signing. I absolutely love it for them. 
And he's played with Trevor Harris before, so that can't be understated as Harris tries to recruit receivers that he's familiar with. Jake Weineke was one. Darrell Walker is the next one. And for what it's worth, Keen Shaper Baker, bar none, is the best receiver on the Rough Riders roster right now. He should be in the NFL, but that's a completely different story for another time. I really like this move for the reasons you guys laid out. And also, because it's not going to be a big fat contract, it allows the Rough Riders to potentially have a younger receiver come along and maybe take some playing time away from Darrell Walker, who has, yes, had some down seasons, but then people would argue, well, who was throwing him the ball, especially last year in Edmonton when he had those 900 yards that JC said. It was totally Taylor Cornelius, who some people seem to be split on in terms of his upside across the league. So I think it gives the Riders flexibility that if a young guy, be it off their practice roster last year that they've been developing or a guy in the negotiation list comes along, that he can take those reps away from Darrell Walker. But at least you have a proven guy in there for now going into training camp that has a rapport with Trevor Harris. Yeah, he hasn't played a lot with Harris, right? Like like Darrell Walker was in Toronto in 2019 when Harris joined the Elks. They played together a little bit in 2021, then Harris got traded. But Darrell Walker did say on the sports cage that Edmonton's quarterbacks were not the greatest, right, during his tenure there. And I appreciate the frankness with which he said that because it's true, right? Nick Arbuckle struggled a lot in Edmonton. Taylor Cornelius struggled, especially at the start of his tenure there. So this is not a guy who's had, you know, Anthony Calvillo or Jeff Garcia throwing up the football. This is a guy who has been utilized with some, I want to say subpar quarterbacks, but certainly not all-star quarterbacking. So I'm intrigued to see if he can rekindle things in Saskatchewan. Jeff Garcia deep cut from Hodge. Love it. Absolutely love it. Hey, you're the one working on the the CFL to NFL piece, so I'm just trying to help you out. It's true. It's true. The CFL has reportedly entered exclusive negotiations for the sale of the Montreal Alouettes with Quebec billionaire Pierre-Carl Pelado. Is that an encouraging sign? I think it is an encouraging sign, and and you talk about the need in some of these, let's call them struggling markets, to have someone both local and with extremely deep pockets that can bring stability to a franchise. Well, for those of you who don't know, Pierre-Carl Pelado is the president and CEO of Quebec Corps, which is a massive media conglomerate in Quebec. They own TVA Sports, they own... Uh, Le Journal de, de Québec and, and multiple other platforms in that province, one of the largest companies there. And he's valued his net worth at, at over $1.8 billion USD. So this is a guy with extremely deep pockets. He would come in as one of the deepest pocketed owners in the entire CFL if this deal were to go through. Now, me personally, I have some questions about his morals and ethics. I'm not sure I like the guy, but it would certainly bring the stability that is needed in Montreal to that ownership group. So it's a step in the right direction if indeed they can strike a deal with Quebec Corps. The real intriguing part of this potential sale of the Alouettes to Pelado is the content play because Pelado, as JC said, among this massive media conglomerate, owns TVA Sports, which we know doesn't have the CFL rights. And those rights with TSN slash RDS are up after the 2025 CFL season. Now, I think there's a lot of people out there that would feel like it would be in the CFL's best interest to have multiple television stations covering their game to create competition and just getting more coverage overall. But if you're Pelado and you're looking into buying the Alouettes, I think it's really a content play, although he does own these newspapers. So how would that change the way that they cover the Alouettes? Would it change that at all? And I think this creates or potentially opens up a wider discussion of the possible value that we're going to continue to look at across all types of content now, but in sports specifically, and the value that the CFL might have, because we all know that when you put CFL games on television or streaming or wherever they are, it dries, draws, essentially, excuse me, legitimate eyeballs. So 
this is a very intriguing discussion and possibility from a content side. And if you're Peladol, you're thinking, well, if I own the Montreal Alouettes and I can control all of this content, then that can help out my other businesses potentially. The way in which the deal works out will have to be seen. But I think that's a very intriguing part of this possibility. Yeah, I don't know a lot about Pelado. I've spoken to some people who are in Quebec who shed some light on maybe their concerns about him politically. Uh, Pelado has previously been interested in bringing an NHL team to Quebec, uh, presumably as the Nordiques is a restoration of that. And the NHL... He built a massive arena there, Hodge. Like that arena, the Videotron Center, I believe it's called. I've been in it for the U Sports Football Awards a couple of years ago. It's unbelievable. So he was willing to foot the bill for this unbelievable state-of-the-art facility to hopefully bring an NHL team there. But right now, there's just a QMJHL team playing there, the Quebec Ramparts. So he has the money to do a lot of stuff is what I'm saying. Go ahead, Keep going. And I, I get that. And he, and my, my reason for mentioning that was he, they, they've got a great building, which is wonderful. But there was also a letter sent to the NHL urging them not to go into business with Pelado, calling him unfit for that role. So to me, I will say this. There's a lot of people who for years have said, oh, we need we need a local deep pocketed owner, local deep pocketed owner. And I think it's somewhat hypocritical when Pelado starts waving his hand and saying, hey, I've got two billion dollars and I love Quebec. And people are like, oh, but not you, not you. No, no. We, we wanted local and deep pocketed, but not you local. We want a different local deep pocketed person. We run into that, by the way, at three down sometimes where people are like, we want more CFL coverage. And we're like, here you go. And people are like, no, no, not that. We want other articles. And it's like, well, <laughs> sorry, but you, you, that's not exactly how it works. We're, we're going to provide it. And if you want to read it, read it. If you don't want to read it, don't. Uh, but anyways, that was my take is this is local, big check. This is deep pockets, check. And right now, those are two things that the Montreal Alouettes need in the worst way. It would just be more convenient if the potential owner didn't have, let's call it as much baggage as Mr. Pelado seems to have. But again, I don't want to speak from a place of ignorance. I'm not a Quebecer. I don't pretend to have a well-versed knowledge of Quebec culture, and I don't have the historical perspective for how Pelado has acted and how he is perceived over the last decades of his life in that province. So somebody else from that region, I think would be better to speak to this than myself. Well, I do think there's a certain, shall we call it delicious irony. If in fact a Quebec separatist were to buy into the Canadian football league, that would be really intriguing to me. <laughs> Andrew Harris has officially re-signed with the Toronto Argonauts and admitted that he will have a reduced role this season. What are your expectations for Harris as he enters the final year of his playing career? I think when he gets the ball, he's still going to be able to play at a high level. But he said those high-touch, you know, 20-plus carry games are probably in the past for him. Although we know based on his past, except for that one year, in Winnipeg in 2021, that he's going to show up in great shape. He's committed to playing football for another year and I think he's going to provide some great leadership for this Argonauts team that he helped get over the top last year and win the Grey Cup over his former and hometown team, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And I'm saying that because McLeod Bethel-Thompson spoke so highly of Andrew Harris and what he brought to that team as a veteran leader who had already won multiple great cups, three of them before the most recent one with the Argos to give him a total of four. Now I know it's the strive for five and Harris is going to give it his all, but I think the Argos were actually at their best when that backfield was done in a shared way with AJ Ouellette. And I think Harris has a lot of respect for Ouellette and his running style. And most importantly, boys, he loves himself some Chad Kelly. It's very clear that Harris is curious to see what Kelly can bring to the table as Swag Kelly season is upon us. I think Andrew Harris is in a right, right role for 2023. I think this is where he's at at this point of his career. And I give him credit for acknowledging it. He admitted that it was hard to admit that he is no longer a feature back, but he just cannot take 
that physical pounding anymore at this point of his career. Those 20 touch, 25, 30 touch games that he had for so many years. First as a member of the BC Lions and then as a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. There were years in Winnipeg he'd rush for a thousand yards and he'd be like the fifth leading receiver in the CFL in terms of catches because he was such a strong focal point of that team's offense. And especially with Matt Nichols at the control, there was a lot of checking down, getting the ball into the hands of Andrew Harris. So he's 35 turning 36. This is who he is at this point of his career. Does he still have value? Yes, I think he does. Something I think that also needs to be mentioned is A.J. Olette signed back with the Toronto Argonauts for over $110,000. His deal maxes out at $123,000. That doesn't quite put him in the... William Standback category of earners, but it puts him right there with guys like James Butler, who just signed a new deal with Hamilton. It puts him right there with Kadeem Carey, even above thousand yard receiver or thousand yard rushers like Brady Oliveira in Winnipeg. He's making more than Jamal Morrow did following a breakout campaign in Saskatchewan. So clearly the Argos have put their faith in AJ Olette as the starter. I would imagine a lot of that money is coming from Harris, who made I think $160,000 this past season, presumably making much less in this reduced role. But I think that this is this is where Harris belongs. One thing I will mention, though, and I asked this question to Harris in the Zoom call. I said, look, why not go another year? You've said 2023 is the last year. Why, why cap it? Why not be open in 2024? And he admitted, however unlikely it is, he said there is some chance, albeit a small one, that maybe he does keep playing in 2024. So we'll see. We keep calling this the last year. I'm sure that's going to be a big storyline on TSN through the course of the season. Andrew Harris's last season. He's, by the way, returning to IG Field for the first time. He didn't get the chance to play in Winnipeg this past year. He's going to do that in September of this year in a game that will presumably have playoff implications for Winnipeg and Toronto, albeit in different divisions. But who knows? Maybe we're going to see a 37-year-old Andrew Harris playing in 2024 crazier things have happened i believe was the exact quote that he used you have to think that that played some role the ability to be able to return to winnipeg in another uniform now he's already beat them in a great cup so that was pretty sweet for him but to have a, a farewell at ig field and return as a member of the argonauts to the city where he grew up where he had so much success where he won two Grey Cups, I'm sure played a role in his decision to come back in a reduced capacity. Now, we already know what Andrew Harris plans to do after he retires. He has a deal in place with his former uh, Canadian Junior Football League club out here in BC, the Vancouver Island Raiders, where he's taking over as the head of football operations and will be their head coach starting in 2024. He's appointing someone in an interim capacity this year to serve in his place and keep the seat warm until he takes over. That's a five-year contract that he signed with his former CJFL team. So he plans to go that coaching route, and he talked about it at Grey Cup, how important it was when he was injured last season to be able to take a step back take on a leadership role and become sort of a player coach for that Argonauts team, sort of work out some of the kinks for them and also learn that job and that role. As he got, continues next season, he's not going to be on the field quite as much, still contributing, but you have to imagine that he is taking on more of that leadership player coach type of role, trying to soak in more knowledge so he can take the next step in his life as a football coach and as a manager of a football organization. The CFL held its invitational combine this past week, a new event that replaced the three regional events the league used to host ahead of the national combine. You highlighted 20 players to watch before the event, JC, because you are a glutton for punishment, if nothing else. 20 players. That's ridiculous. Which player stood out the most of you, the most to you, following the event's completion? Just to provide a little context for how unpredictable these invitational combine events can be, I highlighted 20 of the players that I like best heading into an event. There were 12 invitees to the National Combine. Only five of my players made that list. So I'm going to highlight a few of them who got invited, who I'm really intrigued by. The first one being 
the Toronto Varsity Blues cornerback Talu Ahmed. He's long. He's lengthy. He moved really well in testing, and, and it shows up on film. I think he's going to be a real riser in Edmonton at the National Combine. But the other guy I'm really intrigued by who doesn't have almost anything in the way of college production is the St. Mary's University tight end Sebastian Howard. Now, he only has a few catches in his college career. He plays a position that's not highly valued. You wondered why he can't get on the field, but he's six foot five. He weighed in at 220 plus pounds, and he ran a 47140 with good testing numbers across the board. Scouts are looking at this guy and going, okay, what didn't work out for him in the past? How can we use him? Because that type of size and speed and power just can't go to waste. And so I would not be shocked to see Sebastian Howard work out at multiple positions at the National Combine and end up getting drafted despite the fact that he has less than 100 career yards in college. Howard's a prime example of a guy who fits the professional game better than perhaps in youth sports. And we've seen it over the years, fellas, some guys who don't play a lot or maybe who haven't stuffed the stat sheet in youth sports or even the NCAA, but mainly youth sports, get opportunities in the CFL because of their physical traits and their unique skill set and how it could apply to the CFL game. So I think Howard is a perfect example of that. And we should shout out our boy, our the OG draft guru, we should say, Dwayne Ford, who originally got this idea rolling for multiple other combines or at least another combine because he felt like the national CFL combine wasn't enough of an opportunity for players to get a look from scouts. Because even though each CFL team has dedicated people that scout the Canadians, it's not like it's an NFL scouting staff where there are literally NFL scouts who are broken up to various regions of the country in the United States and even Canada on some of those franchises. There's probably one guy with each team that's going to get around to the schools in this country. So when Dwayne Ford started his combine, it got players looks in front of the decision makers. And that's really the key here and how you can boost your draft stock and get a real opportunity is get either now to the Invitational Combine or the National Combine. But shout out, because when I first heard that the CFL was going to shrink down the regional ones instead of going, you know, East, Central and West, for lack of better terms, to just this Invitational Combine and the National one, I thought of Dwayne Ford because he started it. He had some help organizing it, but he was really the spearhead behind it and good on him for giving Canadian players, especially in youth sports, a better opportunity to get seen and get opportunities in the CFL because of it. Yeah, and when they decided to shrink this down, I don't think we ever talked about this on the pod. I had some concerns about guys getting the opportunity to perform. And for the uninitiated, players are not given free travel and accommodations at the regional combines, nor do they at the invitational. However, talking to some people around the CFL, they said, look, if you're a player, let's say, who lives in Regina and you have a Western regional at Edmonton, it might cost just as much money for a flight as it would otherwise be to Toronto. And so I'm not sure, even though there is you know, one event now instead of three, there's probably not a huge added expense for players who are going. The only players with an added expense would, would likely be guys in Alberta who would have otherwise been able to stay in their home province and now have to fly over the country. But it's not that hard, right, to get from Montreal to Toronto, even for an event like this. And guys, again, this is this is not an event where the CFL is is covering travel. So if a player, you know, really wants that opportunity to get in front of a team, they can go to the Invitational and earn their way to the Combine, as we saw 12 guys get. And of course, the Combine is fully covered, expenses covered for travel, for lodging, for food, all of that stuff. And by the way, we talked about players who have come out of this event previously. Zach Pelios, the number two overall pick in last year's com or last year's draft, wasn't originally invited to the Combine, right? He was coming out of the University of Ottawa, was picked by his hometown, Ottawa Red Blacks. He had to go through the Ontario Regional Combine last year. So this event has produced some top picks in the past. One guy I'll highlight, just because nobody else has, Gabriel Apayakubi. I hope I'm saying that right. Out of York, 
His numbers, boys, granted, he weighs 156 pounds, which is obviously not optimal. But man, his testing numbers, he ran a 4.48 with a 37-inch vertical, 10-foot, 8-inch broad jump. I, I looked at this just for fun, and in no way am I saying that he and this other player are the same. But out of curiosity, just seeing 156 pounds, I went back and looked at Brandon Banks' combine numbers from way, way back when he was coming out of Kansas State, and they are shockingly similar. Now, it's also worth noting that Apayakubi caught 26 passes over 22 games with the York Lions. So not a lot of production, not a player who you're going to see go early in the draft. But when you talk about the underwear Olympics and guys who blow up the testing, good for Apayakubi. Needs to get a little bit heavier, but he is 5'10". He's also not 5'5". Five five. Like Brandon Banks is significantly shorter. So interested, interesting to see a guy blow up the testing that way. Good for him. Who would have known that Apayakubi was a freak athlete in hiding? He certainly wouldn't. I looked at his tape, so I was shocked by that number as well. Good for him. Five Canadian players participating in the 2023 NFL Combine, including Syracuse offensive lineman Matthew Bergeron, Illinois running back Chase Brown, Illinois safety Sidney Brown, Guelph and uh, former Guelph and current Ole Miss defensive lineman Tavius Robinson. I see what you did there, Dunk, slipping that into the read. And <laughs> Eastern Michigan offensive lineman Siggy Sow. Which player impressed you the most with their performance? I'll let you guys drool over Tavius Robinson, but for me, it was Chase Brown. This dude created a buzz at the NFL Combine with what he did running a fast 40 in the 4-4s, very similar to his twin brother, Sidney Brown, jumping very well in the vertical and the broad jump as well. I think he showed his explosiveness and really, I think that's what teams were looking to see in terms of confirming from what you see on tape from this guy who had a stellar season with the Fighting Illini in 2022. Did that actually translate? Was he as fast as he looked on tape? Was he as explosive as he looked on tape? And I think what he did at the NFL Combine was able to confirm that and boost his draft stock to climb the board at the running back position. I'm going to let JC talk about Tavius Robinson because I wanted to highlight another player. I'm talking about City Sal, boys. Guard out of Eastern Michigan. Uh, this is probably where JC was going, knowing his affinity for old linemen. Sorry, buddy. You're going to talk about Tavius. City Sal was, for his size, one of the best testers at the entire combine among offensive linemen. He ran a 5.07 40-yard dash. That was the third fastest among guards. 1.8 second 10-yard split is ridiculous. Great short shuttle, great three cone. He had the third, fifth highest vertical jump among all offensive linemen, 32 inches. And this is relevant to the CFL boys because talking to people, by the way, my first mock draft will be out Thursday morning for everyone who's been asking about where mock 1.0 is for the 2023 CFL draft. It's coming out. There was conversation about cities, how potentially as recently as a few weeks ago, being in the first round of the CFL draft, depending on the level of NFL interest he was going to garner. And by the way, City Sow, talking about a guy who's started extensively at guard and tackle during his, his NCAA career, I think would have been a very serious candidate for the number one overall pick if he was in the CFL next season. Guess what, boys? He's not there anymore. He is going to get drafted, I'm almost convinced, based off of his testing. And if he doesn't get drafted, he's going to be a very high-priority free agent as an undrafted guy. So to me, that is the biggest impact, at least from a CFL perspective, is if City Sow had gone out and been one of the worst testers and not looked the part, I think he does go very high in the 2023 CFL draft. But he got an invitation to the Combine, and then he tore it up, which to me means... He's going to be a later round pick because he's going to go to the NFL. And and for CFL fans, maybe that's bad news, wanting to see a blue chip old lineman come north. But good for City Sal because he obviously got this opportunity to go to the combine and 100% made the most of it. Now, rather than highlighting one specific player, I, I just want to take a moment to take a top-down view of this and, and say what a remarkable overall combine by these Canadians, these five Canadians, and it looks like, guys, with almost certain 
it's almost certainly going to be a year where we set a record for the most Canadians drafted to the NFL with these five and a couple of players who weren't invited who could sneak into the back end of the draft as well. You go down the list. We've already talked about Chase Brown and Siggy Sow and what they did, right, and how impressive they were. But Sidney Brown was just as impressive with the defensive backs as Chase Brown was with the running backs, running just as fast, jumping even higher. He's going to be a day-two pick as a safety. Some people feel he's the best safety available in this draft. And then you talked about Tavius Robinson and everyone keeps passing him down the line. He's going to be a day three pick just based on his length. He's six foot six. He measures in at, at 257 pounds and he ran a four, six, six 40. That's insane for that size. And he's going to be a guy who gets drafted as well. And then the one guy who didn't necessarily blow up the combine because he didn't test was Matthew Bergeron. And a lot of people feel like he can be a day one starter at offensive tackle in the NFL. Most people have him pegged as a second round pick. So how he did at the combine was really going to be irrelevant to that status. You're talking about five legitimate NFL draft picks, many of them expected to go on day two and make immediate impacts. It's a remarkable class of talent for this year's NFL draft coming out of the Great White North. And what almost stuck out to me most, guys, was Sidney Sal saying that he feels like there's hidden NFL talent in U sports. And I think Tavius Robinson proves that. Dean Leonard did it a year ago, going from the University of Calgary to Ole Miss and then being drafted and making the Los Angeles Chargers roster and having a solid rookie season. So that quote might not mean as much coming from a guy in Sydney Sow who a lot of Canadians won't know and even Americans as well, except for Eastern Michigan fans and wherever he grew up in Canada. But it's the truth. There is NFL-level talent in youth sports, and I don't think a lot of people realize it. We know there's a lot of CFL-level talent, and I'm not devaluing playing in the CFL at all, but we do have these athletic freaks that are capable of making an impact in the NFL that are playing right in our own cities that I truly believe we should be supporting more. But part of that has to be on youth sports in the schools as well, promoting these athletes better, getting students out to the game, creating an atmosphere around the games needs to be something that's better done in youth sports and marketing these players better when they're on campus because Tavius Robinson is an absolute freak. He could play inside. He could play outside in the NFL. And he's a guy that was humble coming from Guelph, a good Guelph boy, grew up in Guelph, went to the University of Guelph, never really thought of anything outside of Guelph because he wanted to play for his hometown team. But when he opened up his mind a little bit after the U sports season was canceled during the pandemic, all of a sudden ends up in the SEC and is taking down quarterbacks in the best conference in NCAA football. So even just opening up the mind of Tavius Robinson shows that we all need to do that as well. And I really want to put it on the schools and the conferences and youth sports to market these players better and really show that the Canadian game in terms of university football in our country is played at a high level. And before we move on on that, I just want to hammer that home. Tavius Robinson is not going to be the last guy who makes it pat goes down that path from U sports to the NCAA to potentially the NFL. We talked about Dean Leonard last year, Robinson this year. Well, in the next couple of years, you're going to see guys like Isaiah Adams who was blocking at guard for Chase Brown at Illinois when he put up those insane numbers and was a second team all big. Uh, 10 selection at guard coming out of Wilfrid Laurier University. You're going to see guys like Malik Straker who came from Carlton and now is a very versatile defensive back slash linebacker at Arkansas state come out and get talked about as an undrafted free agent type of guy and a CFL draft prospect. These players are out there and they're coming out of U sports and excelling at the highest level of football, and we don't give them enough love in this country. 
By the way, City Sow out of Bromont, Quebec, which is about an hour east of Montreal. JC talked about setting a record for Canadian NFL draft picks. The record is four. It's been done three times. It happened in 2021. Javon Holland, Benjamin St. Just, Josh Palmer, Chuba Hubbard were the four draftees that year. It's the other two times it happened previously, 2014, with Brent Urban, John Urshel, TJ Jones, and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. And way back in 1986, when it was Mike Shad, the only first-round NFL draft pick ever out of U Sports. We probably won't get another one of those boys, but who knows? Crazier things have happened with Marcus Koch, Ruben Mays, and Mark Rippon. So that's the history that we're potentially looking at making this year. And I'll echo JC. I think there's a good chance we do it. In the meantime, Hodges heritage moment on this day in 2005, Sandro DeAngelis was signed by the Calgary Stampeders as an undrafted free agent. The kicker was named a West division all-star in each of his five seasons in Calgary, connecting on 83.8% of his field goal attempts. The native of Niagara Falls signed with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in 2010, but made a career-low 76.2% of his attempts with the team. Released following the season, DeAngelis had brief stints in Montreal, Saskatchewan, and Winnipeg before his career was over. Boys, I'm curious, what do you remember about Sandro DeAngelis? I remember him being really good, yeah, as a kicker with the Calgary St. Peters and then signing a big deal with the Tiger Cats and not playing to the same level that he had previously. Come on. Like, are we talking about kickers here now? Let's let's move on. Let's go. Kickers are people too, bro. So are punters. <laughs> and offensive guards as Ar- well. Arguable. Arguable. Hey, don't don't lump guards <laughs> in with kickers. Let's go. <laughs> To the three-minute drill, the CFL has reportedly chosen Winnipeg to host the Grey Cup in 2025. Hodge, my man, can we throw a party at your place? As long as I set the guest list, absolutely. We can have a party at my place. JC, you wrote a great piece on CFL prospect Clark Barnes that all of our listeners and viewers should check out. Where do you see the receiver out of Guelph getting selected in the draft? I imagine he's a round two round three type selection he's going to get a lot of comps to Keon Schaefer Baker as Guelph receivers with insane athleticism that maybe don't have outstanding college production I think it's an accurate comp and he's going to go higher than Keon Schaefer Baker did in 2020 the Argos signed Brian Scott who was named the MVP of the spring league in 2020 and he helped the quarterback depth behind Chad Kelly it's possible the Argos like him, but as we've seen over time, there's so many examples of it, fellas. The Americans that come up here need to learn and really understand the nuances of the Canadian game to succeed. So we're going to have to see if Scott can do that. The Edmonton Elks extended their lease at Commonwealth Stadium through 2027. Did the club get any type of special deal from the city? Apparently, according to Global News, they did $400,000 off of some various fees, which I think the Edmonton Elks can certainly uh, use right at this time, given the financial hardship they've had over the last little bit. Alouette's interim president, Mario Cicchini, has officially been hired as the next commissioner of the QMJHL and will start his new role in May. Is that a smart hire? I think it is from the QMJHL's perspective. They're embroiled in a lot of controversy now in, in the midst of the Hockey Canada stuff. Chichini has proven that he is an excellent executive with the Alouettes and can be a guy who can help lead them out of that. But it is unfortunate for Montreal. Obviously, a new owner would like to appoint their own guy as president, and we'll see how he does. But Chichini is a passionate individual who has done excellent work with his time uh, during his time with the team and will be sorely missed. Canadian QB Trey Ford received permission from the Edmonton Elks to throw at the University at Buffalo Pro Day. Is that a good opportunity for him? It is. Ford had a couple of NFL workouts this past offseason. Now, he can't get signed by an NFL team until the window in December. But if you're a young kid that's talented and has a crazy amount of athletic ability, it's always a bonus to get in front of of NFL talent evaluators, you never know what can happen. Former Riders running back Zach Stacy was sentenced to six months in prison for domestic violence. Is that sentence harsh enough? I saw the video of the incident. In my opinion, no. 
it's not a harsh enough sentence. Ottawa Red Blacks have hired Nadia DeCure as an offensive quality control coach, making her the second woman ever to be a full-time coach in the CFL. Is that a sign of progress? It is, and I'd like to highlight DeCure's impressive resume. This is a woman who has who started out in Paris, France. That's where she's from, with the La Courneuve flash there. Worked her way up from the bottom, came to Canada, has coached at the U Sports level, has worked as a scout with the Red Blacks, and is now taking the jump into full-time CFL coaching. She's done it all the right way with incredible effort, working her way up from the bottom. This is a person to watch going forward. The Stampeders teased white face masks on their helmets for the 2020-2023 season. Would that improve Calgary's uniform swag level? I definitely think it could, and I believe it was CFL News who posted a photo of Henry Burris in some old Stampeders, almost all red, red face mask. I really liked it, and if they're trying to differentiate themselves from the Ottawa Red Blacks, then I like the way that Calgary could potentially go about this, but we need to see that entire helmet first before I give them a swag level score. Canadian offensive lineman Brett Boyko signed with the Orlando Guardians of the XFL. Could that help him get signed again north of the border? I mean, maybe, but I want to say this. There's sometimes hand-wringing in CFL circles, right, about a lack of Canadian offensive linemen. Well, Boyko spent four years in the NFL, came up to Canada as a Canadian, and played two years and is out. He's 30 years old, and he couldn't get signed in the CFL. So the next time people start banging on Canadian offensive linemen, how there's no good ones anymore, apparently. Well, Brett Boyko's right there. He can, apparently he's good enough for the XFL. As a Canadian, he can't get signed in the CFL? Interesting. Anyway. And boys, just before we go, one quick note. Former CFL QB Henry Burris will not be with the Jags in 2023 in a quality control role. He's looking to move into a QB coaching role in the NFL, has had interviews with teams during the past month. So we'll keep an eye on where Smiling Hank ends up next. Very That's it for this edition. Very much so. That's it for this edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. Join us again next week.